You create second-class citizens almost with people that are permanently remote versus those that are permanently in the office. You've got to be very careful about the way people feel about whether they're heard or whether they're respected or whether their career progression is as important as somebody who sat next to the, the boss in the office. Hello and welcome back to Explain It, brought to you by Softcat, the show for IT professionals by IT professionals that aims to simplify the complex and often overcomplicated bits of enterprise IT without compromising on the detail. I'm your host, Zach Abbott, and in this episode, we'll be finishing our deep dive mini-series looking at overcoming the core challenges of remote working. Today's episode will be focused on something we've mentioned several times in previous episodes, bringing company culture to a remote or hybrid workforce. Over the next 30-ish minutes, we'll be talking about what company culture is, why it's important to focus on bringing this culture to a remote workforce, how you can do it today, and what organizational culture will look like in the years to come. Joining me on today's episode is Rebecca Monk, HR Director at Softcat, John Abel, Technical Director in the Office of the CTO at Google Cloud, and Adam Harding, Chief Technologist for Digital Workspace at Softcat. Welcome to the show, everyone. Thank you very much for joining me today. To start the show, I'd like to ask a question to get to know you all a bit better. What's the one book that you'd recommend that everyone should read in their life and why? During the pandemic, actually, I've been catching up with all the books I, I didn't really read at school. So I've been, been doing some kind of catcher in the rye stuff and read the Slaughterhouse Five, I even read the Odyssey. I was saying this to Rob the other day, um, which is a hefty read. But probably if there's one book I would have recommended out of what I've recently read for people to have a go at, probably The Great Gatsby. Because one, it's excellent. And two, it's really short, so you can fit it in. <laughs> Fair. Rebecca? I'm going to go a bit HR-y, so forgive me. I <laughs> like to recommend a book called uh, Time to Think by Nancy Klein. Nancy runs a coaching company, and it's just a really insightful book about um, how to get the best out of people and yourself while giving yourself more, more space and time to think. Fair enough. And John? Yeah, mine's uh, Matthew Syed, uh, Rebel Ideas, where he talks about the power of diverse thinking. I really like this one, being dyslexic, and about the power of the things that you don't necessarily see, but the way that people work and act. And I feel that diversity in mind is as important as diversity in the physical things we can see. So that's my book choice. Perfect. So uh, what would you define as a company culture? And do you think it can exist in a remote working world? Rebecca? So I actually found a couple of interesting definitions of company culture um, from the CIPD, which is the HR Industry Professional Association. Um, so the first one is the underlying values, beliefs and the principles that serve as the foundation for an organization's management system, as well as the set of management practices and behaviors that both exemplify and reinforce those basic principles, which I quite like. And then the second one is much more simple, a bit more soft cap. And that is, culture is the way we do things around here. I like that one as well. Keep it short and sweet, right? And in terms of whether the, uh, a culture can exist in a remote working world, I think absolutely. The, the two things are interlinked, but they are separate. Before the craziness of the last year, we weren't talking about culture in terms of whether people were in the office or at home. It's only really over the last six, 12 months that we've talked about the two being interlinked. So absolutely, the culture can exist. You just have to do things a little bit differently to make it really thrive. Rebecca, what, what out of interest, one of the things I always fascinate is how you've identified 
what is your culture to know it's still it's still following what the company goals are how have you how have you actually kept that alive and how do you monitor that just out of interest I was talking to someone about this the other day in the context of survey fatigue, because it's fair to say that we do a lot of surveys at SoftCat. We ask a lot of people, uh, or all our employees, we ask them a lot of questions. And that's because we are so keen and curious to know what they think at any given time. It could be about their well-being. It could be about uh, asking them about their line managers. Whatever it is, we do we do a lot of surveys. And that has really helped us learn over the last 12 months what's most important to people about the SoftCat culture. And that in turn then informs which bits we need to keep going or which bits we need to amp up, um, depending on what the responses are that we get from those conversations. So it's, it's very much about asking the people what they want and what they need from the culture. And I suppose the short question is, and what is most important to the people? When we look at this from my day-to-day role as helping companies um, develop their digital workspace approaches to hybrid working and all that type of thing, Often people talk about employee experience, but they also talk about employee engagement. When we talk about that employee engagement bit, to me, I've always interpreted that as, do people feel like they belong? Do they feel like they're a part of something else? Do they feel like they they can bring their whole self to work and contribute? That's the kind of vibe I've always thought about when it comes to that employee engagement side. So out of the research we've done internally, I'm just interested to see if, if that does resonate. Are those the things that are important to people or is it more practical things? Absolutely. And that's that's why I said, you know, we weren't really talking about remote working prior to 12 months ago because it, it's really more of a working practice rather than an element of a culture. It's it, Like you said, it's more of a practical element. The key components of culture that people value are mainly to do with feeling empowered. How much control does someone have over their own work? How much autonomy do they have over their own work? recognition how much recognition do they have how are they communicated with and and communication has been a big one over the last 12 months and leadership as well you know leadership and and management you you hear that that old adage of people leave line managers rather than they leave companies um but it's so important that the shadow of the leader and the manager as well so all of those are the aspects of a, a culture and it's actually things like pay and working conditions and offices and that kind of thing which make up really the hygiene factors rather than the the kind of the big cultural components I would say. Yeah and and, and why do you feel that the culture of an organization is more important now than ever before as you say we, we've always been aware that softcat's culture is important to softcat and and many businesses I'm sure are the same but why now more than ever is that such an important factor? I think it's just a little bit harder to tie people into the culture and experience that culture, as Adam said, that employee experience when they're just not in the same place. Of course, you can have flexibility with people doing your day from home and that kind of thing. But when they're all at home, they're just not having the same experience. And that element of all being in it together just doesn't feel quite as strong, which is why you really need to ramp up some of those pieces like the communication, like the leadership just to make sure that everyone's really feeling that connection to the organization that they're not getting from being together. Yeah, I think that it's yeah, exactly where I was going with this. I think that when people ask me about employee engagement, I actually think, well, what is it that disengages employees? And back in the day, walkouts used to happen and they were very visible if the people weren't happy or individuals weren't happy or whatever. But walkouts, I suppose, happen every day, even now. They're just not done with our feet. They're People check out instead. They're invisible walkouts that happen with our hearts and our minds and our voices, you know. And I think that 
as we're really distributed now, not everyone feels highly employable. The employment market's not exactly fantastic at the moment. And not everyone feels confident about speaking up at work or sharing their thoughts. I think that as there's more people, like I'm literally sat in a shed at the moment, working in their own little spaces, if they start to feel psychologically undervalued, I suppose, I think we often protest quietly or even silently or, or maybe even subconsciously. You know, we get into our own space and we think we, we, we close up. And maybe it's those moments where maybe people stop trying as hard at work or perhaps even act out a little bit, you know, subtly by undermining things. And And, and I think that because we are at the end of the tether, literally, we're on at the we're out in our sheds and our kitchens and our bedrooms and our and I was going to say bathrooms, but I'm sure people do that. That it would be weird. It's so easy to get lost, I think, and feel that you're not being listened to, heard, you know, respected, even you know, big words. But people get in their own minds. I think people get in their own way and they're in their own heads. Yeah, I think that trying to help people not feel disengaged is quite a lot. We we need to do to over to almost over-engage our workforce. Like you said, we, Rebecca, we are doing lots of questionnaires at the moment. We, we really want to know the pulse of the business at any moment in time. And Adam, on that point, that there's some small things you can do that I, I'd like doing at the start of the call. We did at the start when we spoke a minute ago, like actually have a light moment at the start of every call. Don't go straight into the agenda. Just actually ask people how they're doing and how they're coping and just support each other. That's critical. We also spend time on what we call a water cooler, where we actually just set up each week a time when anybody in the team just wants to pop on and have a chat, just like if you're in the office. And they're some of the best sessions because people can talk openly and have the conversations. Elements like that just bring it back to being a human rather than being meeting to meeting, because in this world, it's so easy to inundate your calendar with back to backs and not having that free time. I've really enjoyed those aspects where, you know, just a small couple of techniques of just open up, just have a conversation. It doesn't have to be straight into the, the meeting agenda. And then the last one is take time out to just actually talk as humans. I think it's it's about being far more conscious than we ever have been before about communicating. You know, for example, if, if the company that you work at used to hold an all-hands call once a year or twice a year, we'll actually double that, do it do it three or four times a year now like you know every kind of um, method that we have of communicating people with people almost needs to be over pushed and over communicated because it just feels like that's the connection that people need uh, now is just to hear about what's going on much more than they have done previously with all the stuff that's going on in the world it's you know, speaking to leaders and hearing from leaders about the, the future of the company just feels so important to people um, and can put their minds at rest in a lot of cases so we should definitely be doing more of that. And do you think a, a lot of organisations are struggling to do that or struggling to bring the culture to the remote workforce or have they already done it? I mean, it's always harder. If your company's not doing well, right, it's always harder to communicate because you start panicking around what are we going to say? What are people's reactions going to be? And when a company's doing well, you want to communicate because you, you want to share that success and, and make sure everyone's on the same page. Um, but what I found, and I've worked in companies that, that are doing phenomenally well and companies that haven't done so well in the past, what I found is that it's almost, when the chips are down, it's, it's even more important to communicate with people. So, yeah, that would be one thing that I would definitely take away is just no matter how hard the messages are, no matter what kind of situation the company's in, just talk, talk, talk and be as open and, and honest as possible. And I, I can see from our survey results that the openness and honesty and authenticity and vulnerability 
of our senior leaders is what really, really counts and what really matters to people because they see firsthand how our leaders are experiencing this whole situation as well. And so they feel grateful for that to, to know what's going on with them. It seems to be that those organisations that one had a strong culture in the first place, um, it seems that the vast majority of that will carry over because it's about people. It's not about a building. It's about people and, and the way we go about doing our business. But where I see organisations struggling is, is possibly more it translates well if you were office workers, if you were frontline workers, if you were people, you know, nurses and doctors on the wards, or if you are uh, shop workers that were on the shop floor, or you worked in warehouses or manufacturings or out on building sites or things like that. They haven't been able to continue the work piece of their work. They're on, a lot of people have been on furlough, and when they're not working, then it's been a very long time. And People, again, have started to go into themselves and organizations have found it difficult to, if you look at the soft cut approach, it's constant. We've dialed it up to 11. We are over communicating to try and compensate for the fact we're not together and bouncing off each other. That's so much more difficult when you are have um, first line workers that have had to be on furlough. So there's almost been a, a nine month, 12 month block for, for a lot of organizations where there's been very little cultural input. And I'd be interested to see how when they come back, it will be a different world. There will only be the ripples of the culture that were that they left a year or so ago. I think that would be far more difficult. But where I have seen in the technology sense, people trying to affect that is investments in collaboration and communications tools so that you can communicate with your workforce. It's bi-directional. It's not just announcements. You know, if you've got a workforce that doesn't have email addresses but and only have their own devices, move into a position where you can at least talk to people and keep them up to date and with the announcements and, and the changes and the policies and what you're doing to bring the company back. Um, but it's very difficult for a good chunk of uh, organizations across the world. So just to pick up on that last point there, Obviously, we're all in agreement that culture is hugely important for the success of an organization. And um, there are organizations, as you say, struggling. And you just started to talk about what I want to talk about next, but it'd be good to sort of open it up as a broader question is what advice can you give to those looking to do that and make up and, and install that culture back into the remote workforce? You've got to look at it from multiple perspectives. Culture, as we said, is something that is about people. It's not about tools and it's not about places. So um, but what we can do is, is make sure that the infrastructure is in place to help bring people together, to help them feel like they belong, to make sure they are actively, visibly listened to, to make sure that um, their well-being is recorded and measured and then we can do something to improve it. So I think that you can look at it at a few levels. My perspective is Re-engaging with your workforce, if you haven't already, is massively important. Change starts with talking to people. You've got to have conversations. It's really basic and it's quite difficult to do at scale, but make time to have those conversations. So speak to your people, whether it's via questionnaires to get a broad sense of the, the sentiment across the organizations, whether it's about focus groups based on specific regions that you operate in or specific types of function or specific types of roles get those focus groups going keep them regular so you can measure change over some over some time possibly have them what you'd think is too regularly to start with just to make sure that things get going and then make sure you create a feedback loop specifically so that if you think of this from an it point of view quite often we deploy technologies all the lights in the operations center are green because it's all been deployed to best practice but there's still this concern about walking across the office floor or because you the IT people will get lynched because the way the technology works doesn't match to the way 
people work. And I think that if we talk more and create these feedback loops, this, o- this open conversation between the technologists and the business and HR, and we actually start to get parties such as IT working with HR on a really regular basis so that we understand the pressures that the business, uh, different business functions are under, uh, I think we can do quite a lot from our position to ease the return to work and to help record and, uh, and improve the cultural metrics we've got at least, if that makes sense. Yeah, I was only going to follow up with, is there any key technologies that can help with that process? I think that you've got to be looking at types of technology. So I think if it's about talking, well, apart from physically talking to people, you've got to get your collaboration technology in place. You've got to make sure that collaboration technology, whether your people are 22 or 62, they're comfortable with it so that they don't feel intimidated by just starting. You've got to make sure that whether your people are office bound and used to having email addresses and interacting like that, or whether they are out on the front lines and have nothing but a mobile phone, you can reach them and they can reach back in with their opinions and their concerns and their thoughts and their feelings. So I think that that's really important to think about it in in levels. And then once the technology to actually communicate with people's uh, out there. So we are talking, you know, Google Meet and Zoom and Teams and all that type of stuff, but equally things like Blink and maybe Facebook Workplace, all these types of things, get your blend right. Then you've got to make sure you're asking the right questions and recording the right responses. I think we've talked about unblocking the communication. You've really got to be uh, looking at things like Qualtrics, for instance, that helps you to put together really sophisticated, well thought out um, questionnaires that can give you pulse checks rather than dropping 50 questions once a year. You can drop five questions once a week so that you're gradually getting a constant feel for how the organization is going. Companies like Pecon, which have recently been bought by Salesforce, do a similar type of things. I think that's the type of stuff you've got to be looking at. To be honest, even things like SurveyMonkey can help you out there. So there's plenty of technology out there, but it's what you put in it that's important. And it's about really thoroughly understanding the way you want to question your your workforce um, so you can get some meaningful results back. And it's not just about asking the questions, it's about response. You've got to be visibly seen to respond to this stuff. Um, Being responsive is so important. It's not enough to simply pay uh, lip service to people and take no action because that then becomes even more toxic because they've now told you there's a problem. You raised a really good point about that actually it's people and technology, not just one or the other. And I suppose the other aspect of it is we're soon moving into a new phase where we're going to have people that are somewhere in the office, somewhere at home. And then how do you sustain the culture and actually make people feel inclusive, not exclusive? So how do you bring everybody together again and, and actually keep that workforce going forward? So we've already had phase one. Now we're probably into phase two. And there's the, the next phase to come, which is this co-working in different locations and some in the office, some at home. And it, and it people have got to focus in on this. It's super critical. And technology is there to help, but won't answer it entirely. Cool. So if we skip forward a few months, people are starting to maybe employ a bit more again and, and recruitment's picking up. How can, but that hybrid work force is still in full effect. How can people still stand out and differentiate their culture from others in a remote hybrid world? It's not so much about the culture, it's what you do as a company. If you look at how we interact now it's much more about the experience much more about actually being felt like that someone really knows you so we've always looked at like 
frameworks around how to identify the culture we are, you know, competing value framework or, you know, aspects like that to understand what it is. But actually, the culture is the output of the way you act as a company or the way you act as people. Actually, it's much more to understand what's important to your customers or end users and what do they expect and have your have people in your organization bought into helping you transition to that. You can't force a culture. I believe that actually reflection with the people of who do we want to be external, especially now where many companies have had to move to a digital world and they may not be so much in person. How do they much more enable people to see who they are? And if they do it right, the culture will reflect what they are actually doing external. It's almost like trying to identify your, your USP as an employer, like what makes us great at what we do. And let's, let's revisit that and work out if we are ticking all those boxes still. Because coming back to the earlier point around being authentic and, and being our, ourselves, there's no point trying to be a completely different company just because of what's happened. Like you need to adapt and evolve, but not not steer so far clear of what you used to do and what made you successful in the past. I think it's it's definitely a good a good time now to think about what what makes you stand out and, and revisit those aspects to make sure it's still you're still on track. Spot on, absolutely. You mentioned earlier, Rebecca, you mentioned uh, uh, survey fatigue. And obviously, surveys are a really good way to sort of measure the success of culture being prevalent in the, in the workforce and things like that. It, how else could you measure the success of a, of a cultural migration, almost if, if it's re- remote now? Well, I mean, uh, at a high level, company results, right? So, you know, if, if employees are engaged and still loving the culture, in theory, they should be still willing to put in that discretionary effort and productivity should be high, therefore results should be good. If you start to see the results dip and maybe have a look at the productivity and see if that's dipping and and it might all lead back to some problems with employee engagement because all the kind of research would tell you that one leads to the other, that it's really quite a, a straight linear path between employee engagement and company results. So there are some key key metrics that, that are business metrics actually rather than just survey results for example. So we've talked quite a bit about the importance of culture within an organisation and how companies that are potentially struggling can look to engage that remote workforce with the company's culture. Let's skip forward a bit and look to the future. How do you think organisational culture will evolve and should we be trying to recreate what we had or evolve the culture to adapt to the current situation? One thing that we're definitely having to adapt to at SoftCat is acceptance and tolerance of unforeseen circumstances. And we've talked about it earlier, people like me sitting in my bedroom with a baby screaming in the background and that kind of stuff is, you're not used to showing that side of yourselves at work. And so being that open and honest with your colleagues is, is quite rare and quite unusual. So we're definitely having to learn a bit more about that and, and making sure that we're not judging people and not discriminating against people based on what is now you know becoming apparent people want to do the school runs and actually they might not have ever had the chance to do that before and and now they don't want to give it up so you know that is an evolution it's not a drastic evolution for us but it is a movement and that's something that we're just going to have to be a lot more tolerant of going forward than we have been in the past um, which is great because that helps push a lot of the agendas that I would have had previously Uh, so it means we can take a big leap forward in terms of working practices that, that feed into this culture without having to almost do much about it it's just naturally happened overnight and evolved by itself yeah and I think as we 
again go back to this blended work where we'd be working from an office and from home we're going to have to respect the diaries much more that just because we don't put a meeting in the diary doesn't mean it's now a slot and I think we got very used where we will fill the diary as much as we can because we're not having to do those commutes between customer meetings or sites and actually the downtime is as critical as the uptime and also if you are then going to have to travel into a just making it being respectful and I think you know respecting each other in that that transition and also respecting everybody at this point is super critical because everybody's going through a different journey we've seen every single situation occur probably on every video call you could ever wish to see and because everybody's going through it differently so you know it's, it's super personal as well the experience everybody's going through so yeah it's allowed us to do many things that we couldn't have done in the past and it's going to hopefully let us do things in the future that we wouldn't have dreamed of doing and, and from that employee experience perspective, how can we make that transition between the, the home office and the work office as seamless as possible? Can we make it so that you don't have to spend 20 minutes setting up again at the beginning of every day where you change your location? You know, that, that, that kind of IT operational side of things is very important to make sure that employees are not getting frustrated every morning with having to log on back to different laptops or different screens or whatever it might be um, and that, that I think is going to have a big impact on on the general enjoyment of work once we once we are back in the office and, and whether people can can get on to, to whatever systems they're using seamlessly every morning. See I, I also think there's something in there about um, that we have to be mindful of with I've seen it in other organizations we've been helping where you create second-class citizens almost with people that are permanently remote versus those that are permanently in the office. You've got to be very careful and very mindful about the way people feel about whether they're heard or whether they're respected or whether their career progression is as important as somebody who sat next to the, the boss in the office and all those types of things. And I think also in that I've seen people struggle with those people that are in the office. There's a presenteeism culture, those people that are uh, working from home, there's more focus based on task management, I suppose. And trying to get that blend right, I think will be quite difficult for a lot of organizations. You can use technology to help you do both or the other, but I don't think it's the same. It's not the same as managing a team that's sat on six desks around you is not the same as managing six people in six different locations. And the middle is arguably the most difficult where you've got half the team are next to you and half the team are nowhere near you and you get this us and them kind of pockets forming I think that would be very interesting and, and uh, very difficult for people to get used to because you do need to adjust the way you manage hybrid teams in my opinion. And um, Moving on from that slightly how do you think increasing the proportion of millennials and Gen Z in the workforce uh, will affect company culture moving forward? It is definitely interesting to see how many more younger employees want more remote working. That has definitely shifted a lot over the last 10, 20 years that, that I've been working. And I, I don't really know why other than they just, like, they, you know, they want that empowerment and they want that autonomy. But it's, it's a reason people are leaving companies now. And it's a reason people are joining companies if they're offering that flexibility. So definitely that is a difference that I've seen. But yeah. I think you're right. There's this romanticised version of working from the beach or a mountain top. I mean, I have worked remotely quite a lot and I'm still stuck in the garden. And that's about it. That's about as glamorous as it's got. But equally, I speak to my own experience over the last little while is speaking to our colleagues, of which many of them are young and certainly fall into the millennials and Gen Z kind of pots. There are some of them that 
don't say anything about it. But those that speak up are the people that are dead keen to socialize again is the real truth of the matter. Just have a chat in person and speak in a group scenario rather than one-to-one. I think the, the VC stuff is fine for having a quick catch-up with it on a one-to-one basis with people, but it's difficult to say, you know, I was saying to somebody the other day, we haven't celebrated our wins and things or finishing a big project or anything in the same kind of way we would have when we could physically get together. You know, we didn't go for a couple of beers after work or whatever it might be. And it's just those kind of things that I feel people are missing out on. It's the softer side of it. It's not that we can't do the work. I think that some people are struggling from with, with their mental health side of it, being isolated. I think other people, especially based on generations, the younger people are keener to get together and enjoy themselves together a little bit more. But Softcat was always a fun place to work. And that's why they came to work for oh, one of the reasons they came to work for us. And that little bit missing is, is probably where I've seen most of the younger, younger generation wanting to go back into the office. Let's just pick up on that a bit, the the fun place to work. An office has historically been sort of one of the attractive features of a company or look how great our office is, you want to come and work here. As that sort of fades away then, if if remote working uh, becomes more of the common thing, do you think we'll see global priorities such as uh, move towards sustainability becoming a bigger differentiating factor than company culture? I, I think from the point of view, the culture isn't static, it's going to adapt over time new people will enrich it, will obviously change it. So, you know, as companies change, culture changes, nothing's totally static. But I think what we will know is that people are now much mindful of the environment because of the experiences they're having. The sustainability is very core to Google. It's well known how important it is to us. But I think it's got more airtime now, rightly so, because it's so important for the future. And I think people are going to realise that actually this has to be a reason to be in the office. That's going to be one of the key themes I think you're going to hear more about is what's the reason of me being in the office. You know, effectively, if I've got back-to-back meetings, then actually I'm probably more efficient at home versus if I want to collaborate and ideate, I really want to be in that environment where I can collaborate and ideate without the technology being the front to it. So I think everybody's going to start reflecting on why they're traveling and where they're traveling much more. I'm seeing that much more in customer discussions already about like, you know, certain things we can just do better in an office environment and other things we can do better at a home environment. But I think everybody's going through a different a different experience and that will come through in the way we, we go forward. And I think companies that want to retain the best talent have to have an open mind to that because everybody will want a different experience. Okay, uh, well, we're just about done for this week's episode. But before we finish, Adam, could you just give us a quick summary of what we've talked about today? Sure. So I think we've spoken about the importance of unblocking communication and being responsive, making our people feel empowered and heard. Make sure that you signal openness. Nobody likes to be, feel like they're left out in the dark. Make your culture very visible. Be mindful of the shadow of the leader and setting the standards by which other people hold themselves accountable. Uh, and make sure you work closely with your learning and development teams to ensure that any new working practices or technologies that are introduced are thoroughly understood and land really well and are really effective because people understand how to employ them and enjoy them. 
Well, that's all we've got time for in this episode. John, Rebecca, Adam, thank you very much for your time. It's been really great talking to you. And thank you for listening. If you want to know more about anything that was covered in this episode or want to get in contact with us, feel free to email us at podcast at softcat.com. Make sure you click subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and we'd really appreciate you giving us a review or a comment on whatever podcast platform you use. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for listening to Explain It from Softcat. Softcat.